Hey guys, welcome to the show. Before we begin, I would like to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at ICGAW, that's I-C-G-A-W, and you can also email us at ICGAWpod at gmail.com. Today, we'll be checking out a question on whether or not the Sabres should be looking into Daniel Sprong, so please feel free to add to the conversation and shoot him in. Tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. All right, here we go. Guys, welcome to a Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about some other articles from The Athletic concerning Robin Lehner's battles with substance abuse and mental health struggles. <coughs> oh, sorry, a little bit of a cough there. And his mental health struggles, that's in our What Are You Reading section. We'll also be reviewing a three-game stint against the Habs, Canucks, and Lightning, and we'll be looking ahead to a road trip that sees the Sabres take on the Jets, Wild, and Penguins. We'll finish the show talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and answering a great question tweeted into us this week. If you enjoy the show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. We so appreciate the support and kind words. Here we go with part one. So our What Are You Reading section actually involves two articles concerning Robin Lehner, and one is a little bit older, from about the middle of September, maybe a couple weeks earlier, that you might have read about his battles with substance abuse and mental health issues during his time with the Sabres. We are going to be talking about that in just a second, but this other article coming up is also from The Athletic by Arthur Staple. It's from October 26th, and the headline starts with a quote, It's a complete lifestyle change. What Robin Lehner, like NHLers before him, learned on his first sober road trip. So like we said, this was from The Athletic, and it piggybacks off Robin Lehner's firsthand account where he detailed his battle with depression and alcohol and drug abuse. And that story begins in how things culminated, how he had to leave the game against the Detroit Red Wings on March 29th because he was having a panic attack and what he actually says what he thought was a heart attack on the ice. The story then follows his road through rehab, and as all Sabres fans know, Lehner had a rough go of things in Buffalo. He came with the weight of having a first-round pick traded for him the other way, and while he was not the worst part of the Sabres franchise the last few seasons, he never lived up to that price tag. He was never going to, but he was always compared to what was given up for him to be a Sabre. From there, things got tough. He was seen by many of the media and many of the fans as a hothead, a head case, capable of flying off the handle at any given time. And the Sabres media, particularly like the franchise media, even embraced this from time to time, tweeting videos of him joining scrums or bowling players over during disputes. He had the angry eyes as he yelled at refs, throwing equipment and anger a la Tuka Rask. And these on-ice images weren't helped by some of his off-ice comments during some of the difficult times in the seasons that were sometimes perceived as pessimistic or even sometimes antagonistic against his own teammates. And now, after seeing what the world saw from the outside, we get a view to the inside. 
and he discusses how he had actually decided to enter the NHL and the NHLPA, which is the union-sponsored program, weeks before that Detroit game incident where he had to leave the game. But he hadn't, when he had arranged to do this, let on to everyone how serious of a problem he was having. So it was decided that he would enter the program at the conclusion of the season. The Sabres weren't going to make the playoffs. That was probably only about two months away. But that Detroit game changed everything. And the story that he discusses is terrifying and, and heartbreaking, honestly. Between sleeping pills, other prescription pills, and alcohol, he hadn't had a sober night's sleep in over seven years. And as he detoxed through the rehab program, they realized through the physical reactions that he was having that there was something else going on in his head. His detox was one of the worst they'd ever seen, and there was stuff coming out in his dreams and his emotional and physical reactions that hadn't been there when he had been using. Between that and some of the past history that Lehner references, but he doesn't disclose in his article, the doctors went to work trying to figure out what was going on in his now sober head. And after further tests, he was eventually diagnosed with bipolar 1 with manic phases. So this new knowledge really helped Lehner get a grasp on things in his life. He'd be living a li- or he'd been living a life where he could be living at the extremes of emotional levels of manic anger and energy to steeping depression, and he never knew why or maybe even that it was happening. That was just a normal life for him. So he quote unquote treated what he did not understand or know with what he had, which was alcohol and drugs. And that article expounds into his ability to get back to his family, his wife, and his kids, his ability to now focus on his career with the new knowledge of what's going on in his body, and the new reference point of being sober and having support systems. He doesn't live with what he's going through in the dark by himself anymore. And he does talk about how Jason Botterill with the Sabres was incredibly supportive through that. If you remember... Laner was not extended a qualifying offer this summer, so they did not retain him as a restricted free agent, and he was sent to unrestricted free agency. And he says, Jason and the Sabres organizations had decided to move on from me as their goalie, and in the end, my family and I thought that a restart would be the best thing. I still wanted to stay if they wanted me, but deep inside, I knew changing scenery would be the best thing for my recovery. Now what to do? My relationship with Jason didn't end in that meeting. He contacted me during the summer a few times to check in on me. His check-ins still continue today, despite me not being on his team. And part of this that's really heartbreaking is his, his journey to get back into the NHL and find a team to give him a contract. Because he had to endure, he had to face up to the, the challenge that he had faced, or this is the challenge that he faces now. How do you interview as a free agent to get a contract and talk about what people saw that we were talking about in the media and on the ice without discussing what was in your head and what you were dealing with throughout that time that you now have new knowledge of. And there are a couple heartbreaking moments here. My agent received a few calls, he says, which was encouraging, but most teams were hesitant because I had a reputation. Those meetings with teams were some of the hardest things I've had to do in my life, Now sober, I couldn't tell them I was bipolar. I couldn't tell them anything. One meeting in particular was worse than any other. I was bombarded with questions about why I was a bad person or a bad teammate, and I couldn't say anything. I just took it for hours. I was told that I was a bad influence and that I had less than one chance or I would be buried in the minors and that would be the end of my career. 
sitting and hearing that from these people who don't know me and think that I'm a bad person was extremely hard. I was crushed. Now, it does take a turn for the better. He eventually did get a call from Lou Lamorello and the Islanders, who, after a few meetings, were ready to take a chance with him. And he finishes that article, this personal account, with this such a strong, powerful statement. He, he starts off with praise for the NHL and NHL Union's program and moves on to discussing his future as a player and as a, a man, as a human being. I cannot say enough about the NHLPA slash NHL substance abuse program. I don't think I would be alive without them. It's important to know that I am not blaming any of my actions in the past on my conditions or diagnosis. I take ownership of what I have done. I let myself become what I was. I never had the courage to get help earlier. I am not sharing this story to make people think differently of Robin Lehner as a professional goalie. I want to help make a difference and help others the way I have been helped. I want people to know that there is hope in desperation. There is healing in facing an ugly past, and there is no shame in involving others in your battle. My journey is still new. Every day is a battle, and each day a new chance to grow as a man. It is time to take the crazy person's stamp from bipolar disorder. I am working hard to become the latest to battle this unfair stigma. Our battle together is just beginning. And now that I have begun my battle with what's behind me, it's time to battle what's in front of me. So that article was published around the beginning of September, and since then, Lehner has been somewhere between steady to very good with the Islanders. He is 4-3-1 in games that he's started, and he's boasting a .924 save percentage and a 2.53 goals against average. Both of those stats are improvements on his career average, albeit in a very much smaller sample size. He's off to a good start with a team that is definitely punching hard in the Metro division. They're off to a way stronger of a start than most of the fans would have pegged them to be achieving at this time after losing John Tavares this summer. And that brings us to our new article, which outlines Laner's most recent challenge, his first ever sober West Coast trips. And West Coast trips are one of those like fabled social experiences of being an NHL player. It's a week or more away from home with the team, staying in fun and storied cities and getting chances to see the nightlife and bond with teammates. And coaches and GMs almost seem to encourage the nightlife behavior on these trips. It's seen as a way to get the team to bond and be close early on in the season, go out to dinner, go out for fun. And here is Laner on this first trip where he isn't going to be drinking, which is discussed in Arthur Staple's piece. And Staple opens up, or doesn't open up, but goes on to say, but those nights can be dangerous for players in recovery. The guys who used to hide their addictive behavior now have to tread carefully and seek support during that unstructured time in a strange city where they're staying maybe for 36 hours. The author also cites experiences of roads to, uh, roads to recovery from King's forward Nate Thompson, who said that the biggest thing is just staying connected with those people, making sure you put things in perspective and you realize how you got here. Like we say, stay close and stay connected. That's the biggest thing for me. And also cites Rich Clune, who's a current Toronto Marley, but spent a bunch of time with the Leafs, who talked about what it was like trying to recover, particularly after some ugly blows in a fight, after becoming sober and not wanting to fall back into the use of painkillers. Because you see that kind of trend that players, a lot of athletes fall into this. They get injured, they have issues, 
a lot of the fallout or not fallout, but the, the road back to recovery from that fallout involves prescription medication. What do you do when you are no longer in a position where you want to take that prescription medication? He also talks about the importance of expressing yourself and learning how to talk about what you are experiencing. So while in California, Lehner actually had the opportunity to do just that. He met with one of the doctors involved in the NHL substance abuse program when he was out there, and he said, I've got great support. Not like I need to be babied anymore, but it's great to have support when I need it. If there's anything, I know where to go and where to turn. And all three of them just continue to discuss the importance of connection and being in touch with their families and resources. Lehner talks about staying busy and staying away from public areas with his teammates. Thompson talks about FaceTiming and calling people of significance. And it's mentioned that Clune trains with Zach Cassian in the offseason and that Cassian has also been through the league program. And Clune has a really interesting quote kind of related to that. That immediately connects you to another person, Clune states. I look into another addict's eyes. You understand exactly what they've been through. There's extreme empathy and compassion for one another. I share that with every player and every person now. I've connected with people from, from, from completely different backgrounds, all walks of life. Some people aren't as open-minded as others. Maybe it just starts by talking with another player, but it evolves to connecting with all different types of people. And the article ends with Staples' words, all three of the players understand the core truth of what they've undertaken. Getting sober was about saving their lives, not saving their careers. That they get to keep playing is a bonus. But after that, it's about scoring goals and stopping pucks, as it is for everyone else. And I think this combination of the two articles really provides an insight into the world that NHL players go through that we didn't get in years past. I think the game has changed because our understanding of so many factors related to the game has changed. Concussions, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, and how some to all of those can be related to each other, possibly with an actual causal relationship. I think one of the most significant aspects of these articles, and particularly the second article, is how open all three of these players are. They aren't in a position where hiding what they're going through is something that is workable or desirable for them. And in fact, doing that almost ended with their deaths, especially in Laner's case. And with our evolving understanding of these issues comes an evolving end to the stigma of mental health, depression, and substance abuse. I mean, these are not bad people. They're not bad players. And something that's really important is they're also not wimps who simply can't hack the pressures of being a professional athlete. They're humans who play a human sport with other humans with human bodies. And the brain is a part of that human body. And we don't fault a player who needs special training or workouts or treatment for a bad back or a bad knee, but the world puts a significant stigma on someone who might need special treatment for something going on in their head. And I think the difference here with that comparison is that we knew that the player had a bad back or a bad knee. We didn't know about these issues that a lot of these players were going through until recently, and the ones that we did know about with substance abuse and alcohol abuse tend to be kind of glamorized by a lot of old veterans and the culture of the league and media personnel. I mean, one of my favorite hockey media items is the Spit and Chicklets podcast, which involves a lot of old players. And that pod is full of old war stories involving drinking and going out. 
but they also sometimes tend to bleed into into discussions of anxiety and other mental issues that some of them deal with and how they deal with um, the aftermath of their NHL careers. And this knowledge and this information is part of the game now, and that's good because being a little personal here, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say that I tweeted things about Robin Lehner during his time as a Sabre that make me sick to my stomach now that I know what he was going through when I when I got on his case about it out on, online. Here, like here I am, this pathetic keyboard warrior, and this guy is at war in his head. And since that was before his diagnosis, he didn't even really know what he was fighting. Um, in all, I just found this to be an eye-opening, enlightening read that. I think I personally need it. I, I needed a reminder that we are watching human beings on the ice playing this game. They're not soulless, mindless entities out there. They're people with struggles and difficulties that are not unlike what many of us go through every day. If you would like to check out either of those articles, I will post links to them in the show notes. I know that the second article is behind the paywall for the athletics so you have to be a subscriber for that one but the laner one was public for a long time and you might still be able to get access to that one that's his first hand account of what happened when he was in buffalo that's it for what are you reading join us in part two and we'll unpack the last three sabers games All right, welcome to part two, where we're going to be unpacking the Sabres' last three outings against the Montreal Canadiens, Vancouver Canucks, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we're going back to Montreal on Thursday night in Canada, and the really only significant lineup change to this one was that Nathan Beaulieu returned to the lineup to face his former team. Housley said it was to reward his hard work and progress, and it was for Casey Nelson, which was a little disappointing for me because I thought Casey Nelson had been all right so far this season. We've talked about before how he's kind of one of the ones that I have a little bit of a soft spot for because I watched him in the AHL and seeing how far he has has come from being a Rochester American to being an NHL player, I put him right next to Evan Rodriguez. The, The distance that those two players have come is incredible. Um, and so to see Casey Nelson competing at the level that he is, and, and I'm not going to say that he's any kind of elite level defenseman, but I think he's steady and assured when he's out there. I was a little bummed to see him scratch, but Bolu comes back into the lineup regardless. The only other significant lineup change is that Erod came to the center rather than playing wing on the second line. So the second line was Sabatka, Rodriguez, Reinhardt. And actually, in the first period, Erod got the first chance of the game, and he came on the right-hand side, but he puts it right on the crest of Carey Price. His finishing, as, as we finish talking about how far he's come, his finishing is still a little bit suspect, and especially getting into those positions. And unfortunately, we saw him get into those positions and not quite be able to finish with a shot on goal. Well, sorry, a shot on goal, but not being able to work the goalie as, as much as we would hope. Early on in the game, Skinner gets a hooking call on Domi coming through. It's a penalty one minute in, and 40 seconds into that, Giergensen gets called on a high stick. So it's a long five-on-three, about a minute and 13 seconds. And early on into that, 
Hate to pick on Scandella, but we've got a he gets just a guilt edge chance to clear the zone, and he doesn't get it over the line. Just come on, man. And Skinner comes back out after he clears his penalty. And I'll tell you what, he's pretty hasty on the point of that penalty kill. I'm not saying that that's where you want to be utilizing a player like him, but he looked pretty good out there. Allmark makes some steady, if relatively easy, saves, and they're able to kill the penalty. Six minutes in, Sabres win a defensive faceoff, and Erod is sprung free with Sabatka on a two-on-one, and this time, while his shooting is suspect, Rodriguez waits just the perfect amount of time. He feeds Sabatka for the tap-in, 1-0. And a few minutes later, the Canadians answer as Drouin flies over the line and plays an even more impressive feed to, uh, this says Drouin flies over the line and feeds the feeds the puck to Drouin. I believe it's Domi flies over the line, feeds it to Drouin. Drouin is the one who scores 1-1. Five minutes in, Sabatka is driving to the net and he ends up on the doorstep as Price lets a deflected shot from Rodriguez leak past his side. Habs challenge on interference. Beaulieu definitely had his stick on Carey Price's pad as he is also camped out in the net, but there's not enough in it, and I think officially the rule is that contact can occur on a rebound. I guess that's how it works. I'm kind of learning the goalie interference rules as we go along here because I, I still don't fully understand them, and sometimes I'm looking at the calls on the ice, and I don't think the refs fully understand them. But by rule of sight, I thought this one was coming back but it stays. Sabaka gets the goal, 2-1. Ten seconds later, Matthew Pekka comes in down the left-hand side and does a little short side tuck, and Allmark is overcommitted and leaves a gap between his leg that's too far out, and his inside leg, which is on the front of the post, is exposed, and Pekka slides it off that foot, and it bounces into the net, and I'm, if you're an AHL fan, you might know that name. It kind of like caught my attention, and I was like, I know that name from somewhere. And the Amherst fans will know it. He was a pretty solid player for the Syracuse Crunch the last few se- seasons. He came to Montreal this season. He gets a goal, 2-2. 3-2, 16 minutes in. Sabres win a draw in the offensive end, and they're establishing possession. Casey Middlestack gets behind the net, and he just plays this casual Silky play out to Connor Sherry, who finishes for his sixth of the season. And that is the kind of play we knew that Casey Middlestat was capable of. And that's the first time we've seen him do it that casually this season. And that was incredible to watch. Just that that calm, assured presence, playmaking ability from below the line. This is a player that we, we can watch his development game by game. And seeing that step in this game, we'll talk about some awesome development in the next game, but seeing that step by step this game was really interesting to see. Seconds later, Domi rips from the blue line after coming in, and Druen tips it, and it sneaks through Allmark. Andrew Shaw hammers it home to make sure behind Linus. It's 3-3, 26 seconds later. One minute left in the period, Johan Larson gets a high-sticking penalty. And is it just me, or do the Sabres have a tendency to end the period on the penalty kill? I feel like every time I look up, we are ending a period on the penalty kill and starting a period still having work to do. But during this penalty kill, Erod springs free and Price makes the glove save. The Sabres are able to see out the period, but it's just, while it's exciting, it's way too loose of a game. Fun to watch, but damn, from back to front, 
nobody is doing much right in this game. Really, the only good goal out of all six was Sherry's from Casey's play, and everything else was pretty gross. Actually, that's pretty critical of the Drew and or Domi to Drew end feed. Um, but every other goal was pretty gross. They were rebounds. They were hammers home. They were leaky goals. It's shots are 13-7 and in favor of the Habs. And the Sabres have successfully killed three penalties, but they're def- I think both teams are definitely looking to lock it down going into this next period. In the second period, Sabres start the second with 45 minutes of a penalty to kill. They do. They're three for three on the penalty kill. There is a defensive calamity that almost gives up a goal. Beaulieu, like, clipped the net on a behind-the-net pass that leads to Linus having to push one narrowly wide, like just another come-on-man moment. A few minutes later, the defensive lapses go to the Habs. Skinner strips the puck of a defenseman in the offensive zone. He tries to play Palmer in, but it bounces back to him. He shoots. Eichel recovers and rips one. It rocks the post and falls back to Skinner, who buries a sweet shot for his 10th of the season. Dear God, pay that man. Sabres take the lead for the fourth time in the game. Minute later, great little play from Casey, sees him back check to recover from an overcommitted Scandella Bogo pinch. He wins the puck along the boards as his last as the last man, and then draws a tripping call. It's the first power play outing for the Sabres this evening, and the Habs were 14 for 14 in their last four games on the penalty kill. They're on a strong streak, and they maintain that for 15 out of 15. The Sabres are blanked. Habs break through again through Domi on a three-on-one against Bogosian. He feeds Tatar. That's Domi's third assist of the game, 4-4. I want to blame Scandella on that one because that's kind of the cool thing to do, and he did pinch up and get the puck played right around him. But I also look at that play again, and I think it was just kind of a great play by Domi again um, to get around him rather than a failure on Scandella's part. Up to that point, Domi has basically just been a kid on the playground through a game and a half against the Sabres, and I'm not going to freak on Scandella on this one. Berglund draws a tripping penalty with a few minutes left in the second. I think that's his third tripping penalty in as many games, which is incredible considering how slow he is. And the Sabres get a chance to end this one on the power play, but they don't. And on a positive note, Nick Delorier, remember him, comes the other way, snipes the far post shorthanded, and the Sabres end the second down 5-4. In the third, Carter Hutton comes out for the third period. Um, Linus, all right, there are a couple ones he's going to want back. He was relatively assured, but I, I think Housley just wanted a spark around this point in the game. Like, let's shift things up. Let's change things up. Let's get Hutton out there and just change the mentality. Habs are able to kill the remaining penalty, and the Sabres tie it up with what is currently my goal of the season for this at this point in the year. Eichel wins an offensive zone faceoff by just subtly tipping it through the legs of his opponent. He goes through him and slides it across to Skinner for an amazing tap-in one-timer. Just an amazing play. You, you can't draw it up better. It's the 11th of the season for Skinner. It's the second of the night. Skinner was asked about it afterwards, and Skinner, who really only had to tap it in after Eichel's wizardry, says, Yeah, uh, I think I did most of the work there. Later on, some frantic defending leads to McCabe taking out Petrie. It's their fifth PK of the night, but the Sabres are pretty strong. Uh, But towards the end of it, Risto murders Shaw on the boards, and they have to go five on three for 28 seconds. Sabres kill that one and frantically 
kill the rest. Hutton made some great saves, some crazy defense, some crazy play. They're able to survive. After that, a little bit of back and forth. The middle section of this final period is back and forth with a ton of chances. Erod gets his third very solid look at Carey Price at the end of the game. Uh, sorry, his third look of the game for the third time. He hits him in the chest. Come on, man. Hutton with some saves, Price with some saves. None of them are like showstoppers, but they need to be made. And some dominance in the latter stages falls to the Sabres. They're getting pucks in the net, creating chances. Habs have to reduce to dumping and chasing, but the possession numbers are all in favor of the Sabres. They end strong, but the third round or third period ends at 5-5. OT, Sabres have had some luck in OT in recent uh, seasons, and I think it was a couple seasons ago, Robin Lehner made that amazing save leading to a Bogosian winner. And as I type this, or as I type this for my show notes, they're they're showing highlights of that great play, great goal. Sabres roll out with Eichel, Sherry, Darlene. And second line of Sam, Erod, and Risto get out there. And they have possession, but they're struggling to get into the zone. They get in after a long shift, and they're tired. And Risto goes into the corner and turns it over. And I think every Sabres fan is just thinking, oh, no. This is exactly what happened in that OT round against Calgary where he took it to the corner, lost it, and they get beaten in the transition. It's three-on-one coming the other way, and Druen shoots it wide. It falls to Risto again, who is now gassed after a long shift and then going up the ice with the puck and then down the ice to recover and now back up the ice with the puck, and he just gassed, rolls over the line, but he's in acres of space, and he just rips a slap shot winds up, blasts, and scores through Price. 6-5 overtime win. Shots end 37-31 to Montreal. It's a two-point night for Eichel, Reinhardt, Erod, Sabaka, and Skinner, who is now tied at this point for second in goals scored in the league. And that took us into a Saturday matinee against the Canucks. And some good news for the Sabres, bad news for the Canucks on this one is that it was announced before the game that Brock Besser would miss the game. He's seeing a specialist for a groin injury and is expected to be week to week. Uh, Really only big lineup shuffles is that the second line became the third line, if that's significant. Carter Hutton comes in and Tage Thompson comes in on the fourth line. We're going to talk about him later in the show and just the abysmal use of this player so far this season. But everything else is the same. It is a military appreciation night, and there was this really touching film um, beforehand involving a veteran and his therapy dog, and it was a big special on therapy dogs. The, the players had spent a lot of time with these veterans and their dogs, getting to know them and talking about the difficulties that they face coming home, really touching, and they bring out this veteran and his dog for the ceremonial puck drop in what's going to be a really, um, really meaningful moment, and the therapy dog gets really, really like anxious and runs away. And it was just, it was like kind of giggle worthy, but I was like, Oh, that's, that's horrible. Um, but game starts and four minutes in the Sabres are moving the puck really well. Bolu shoots one after some good possession and it comes to Ocposo on the far circle. And he plays a great pass through four Canucks to Bolu, who's still camping out on the back post. Great play. I mean, so great that Bolyhu is shocked that it even gets to him. During the celebrations, he's pointing to Oki, yelling, are you kidding me? Repeatedly, 1-0. 
Not too many other items of note in this period other than Jack Eichel went off injured and Sam Reinhart was also not on the bench for an extended period of time. And so there were a lot of meltdowns among the Twitter uh, Sabres Twitter fan base during the end of this period. Lines were shuffling like crazy to make up with this. Berglund is up on the top line. Akposo is in for Reinhardt. Then Larson is out there for Eichel. There's a lot of shuffling going on. No real incidents of note from this one. Larson playing in that one center role burst through into space at one point and ripped the post. But period ends, I think, kind of in a damage control mode as they're trying to figure out how to play without two of their top forwards. In the second, we find out that it turns out that Reinhardt was hit in the face with a puck. And he returns in the second period with just a fat, fat lip and a few visible stitches in there. Eichel does not return at the beginning of the second period, and Evan Rodriguez is centering the top line to start that period. McCabe does draw a slashing call two minutes in, and our power play at this time is 0 for the last seven. But no real chances on this one. Some new faces with Jack's absence. Evan Rodriguez is out there. Tage Thompson gets a look with the second crew. But coming back the other way, we get our first call a cop of the season. Horvat gets a fat chance after the puck is squared to him, and a sprawling Carter Hutton makes the save. Brilliant save. Call a cop, RJ. We're moving on. Uh, Jack does return seven minutes into the first, and so everybody can breathe. In fact, I saw a tweet that I thought was hilarious. Carter Hutton's was so, Carter Hutton's save was so good it resurrected Jack Eichel, which is true. He's back out there. Other than the save and a few exchanged power plays, the first 15 minutes of the second kind of passed without major incident, but the Canucks are definitely racking up the pressure and it culminates in Risto losing a battle on the boards behind the goal. It falls to Erickson, who's out front, and he scores 1-1. Sabres take possession, and I said out loud, just get out of this period. All right, You have possession. There's only a minute left. Get out of this period. They turn it over. Uh, Vertanen comes the other way, takes Bogo for a little bit of a ride, and backhands one past Hutton that's maybe a little more savable than he'd like. Hutton comes too far across, and the backhand goes by him on the far post. That ends the period. Just a very meh outing of a middle stanza. But good news, we have Eichel and Reinhardt back out on the ice. In the third, Sabres start flat, and Gabranson throws one to the net and scores. And it maybe takes a deflection on its way in. Replays show that it was actually Eichel who pushes it to the ice, and it bounces off the ice and then back over Hutton's shoulder. If you're joining my conspiracy theory that that's his weak shoulder, it's the same shoulder we've talked about in the last episode. Work to do, down 3-1 a couple minutes into the third. And Sabres are just having a hard time generating scoring chances or even getting into the zone. And once they get in, they're not generating much other than skating into traffic or losing the puck in between the circles. They, they look like they're, I don't know why I typed this, they look like they're controlling, they're controlled by 12-year-olds playing NHL for the first time out there. Larson got called on a soft tripping call. Pedersen kind of went down like he'd been shot. Erod was set through on the breakaway, and he rolls it softly through the five hole. That's a good idea, but Markstrom saves. Sabatka draws a high stick penalty towards the end of it. The man advantage shifts, but the Sabres don't capitalize. They're getting some looks but nothing of note for a few minutes. 
Sabres pull with three minutes remaining, and Skinner scores off a split-lip Reinhardt feed from below the net. Skinner, therefore, has 12 goals on the season, joining Alex Ovechkin, Patrick Kane, Tony Meyer, and David Pasternak to be joint top scorer of the league as of Saturday. League-leading scorer Jeff Skinner just has a great ring to it, doesn't it? Sabres pull again with about two minutes left, and they're trying to generate some chances. Risto dumps it in at one point, but it goes all the way back around. Darlene recovers in the zone, and he plays just a, a, a pretty like lackadaisical puck across two blue lines to a streaking Rista line in who's coming in across the line. He goes into the zone. He shoots, shoots, rebound falls to split lip Sam Reinhardt, and he scores two goals in a minute, 3-3. Evan gets called on a tripping call with a minute and four left in the third. The Canucks get their one chance with 20 seconds left, and Goldobin snaps his stick. There is a god. Sabres guarantee a point and go to overtime. In OT, Larry, Scandy, and Bogo are able to kill. The Canucks rock a post shortly afterwards. Eichel and Risto get some great chances and draw some saves. Hutton sprawls for a save. Peterson dangles through the zone and draws a penalty. If he didn't get tripped up by Skinner, the game was probably going to end. He had played his way through all three Sabres, and Hutton was committed to his first deke on the other side of the goal. Side note, Elias Pettersson is just so good. Sabres have to kill a minute of a four-on-three. The Canucks get their chance, and Pedersen snaps his stick to snub their chance. Sabres see it out. We go to our first shootout of the season. Eichel is our first shooter. He's one for nine in his career on the shootout, but he makes it. Scores two for, he's now two for ten. Pedersen, Hutton saves. Reinhardt almost five holes it with a roll similar to what Evan Rodriguez tries, but Markstrom saves. Granlund comes in, scores, first ever shootout for Casey Middlestat, and dear God, someone help Jacob Markstrom on that goal. Absolutely filthy finish from Casey Middlestat. That was the highlight reel moment of the game. Talk about that development from the last game. We kind of knew Casey was already capable of this coming in. It's one of his highlight moves where he fakes right, goes left, but so incredibly talented in doing so. Goldolman comes in and Hutton saves back-to-back wins after regulation. So exciting, but we need to pause because the Sabres cannot put themselves in this kind of situation. Vancouver were largely better for large parts of this game, and they would have won this game twice over if it weren't for Goldobin and Peterson snapping their sticks on, uh, sorry, on you know, in regulation and in overtime. And that's not even without considering the two-goal comeback, which the Canucks can feel kind of hard done by. They were so close to seeing out what was a relatively routine win for them, and the Sabres came roaring back. While that's impressive to make that comeback, it wasn't impressive that they put themselves in this position in the first place. And Housley spoke afterwards about the team's identity, being hard checking and playing with organized play. And actually, he didn't talk about identity and like roaring to come back. He talked about how that had gotten away from them and they had lost track of that for large parts of this game and were able to find it again at the end for the comeback. So exciting, like one of maybe the most exciting game of the season to watch up to this point. But 
concerning that the Sabres could put themselves into this position. Now, look, I mean, Vancouver's a good team. They're punching way above their weight, um, but there are there are positives, but there are many cons to take away from this one with some room for improvement in this regard. So moving on to Tuesday night, and the Sabres welcome the Tampa Bay Lightning to town. This is the division-leading Tampa Bay Lightning coming to town. And lineup news... Not too much. Uh, Bolu keeps his place over Casey Nelson, Carter Hutton, and Nett. The J Crew, as it came to be known, that top line of Jeff Skinner, Jack Eichel, and Jason Pominville is broken up as Sam Reinhart comes to the top line and Pominville goes down to the third line with Sabatka and Rodriguez. Tage Thompson does stay in the lineup for this one, and Giergensen returns in place of Patrick Berglund. And in... The first, or rather before we get to the first, the Lightning handed an NHL debut to defenseman Eric Cernak. He plays for the Crunch, and uh, they call, probably just called him earlier that afternoon, and they were like, hey, dude, do you want to play in the NHL tonight? And told him to get in his car and start driving, which is kind of normal for us with the Amherst being right down the road in, in Rochester and Buffalo, but is obviously a very unique opportunity for this dude. Apparently he was literally taking a nap when, after practice when they called him and he got in his car and drove down the road and threw on a Tampa jersey. So something kind of neat. He actually had a pretty steady game. Um, Victor Hedman comes back in after an injury and it's Luis Doming- uh, Louis Domingue sorry, in net. No Vasilevsky against the Sabres. And the Sabres are actually asked able to test all three of those guys pretty early on. There's a neat little moment of Dahlin going up against Hedman, kind of a present versus future of the Swedish defenseman. McCabe got a good blast on Domingue early on. Um, five minutes in, Akposo gets a good chance on a backhand that falls to Casey. He can't finish. Domingue saves. A uh, bit of a calamity 10 minutes in. Dahlin got stripped up by the puck. Tyler Johnson comes in back the other way, but Hutton makes a series of saves as it rebounds around. And in general, the goalies are just putting on shows. About four minutes later, Skinner and Reinhardt break. Reinhardt makes some room, snap ones to the corner. Domingue makes a great glove save. And the Sabres double down with an opportunity as Eichel sets up Skinner over a turnover. And Domingo like doubles down with a fantastic save as well. And it's just heating up late in the first. Scandella gets teed up for a blast. And the Lightning are, like, noticeably getting frustrated. Kucherov got caught offside, and he just beans the puck against the boards in anger. And the Sabres' forecheck is causing some problems, and they've settled into some sustained pressure. And they capitalize with 2.15 remaining on an offensive draw. They're passing the puck around, making some good possession. And that sees Reinhardt put it on Domingue, and Skinner does the dirty work in front and sifts it back um, on the backhand rebound, 13th of the season for Jeff Skinner. Shortly afterwards, uh, Sabres get a power play as Cernak goes to the box. Welcome to the league, bro. And they get to the end of the period on the man advantage. They generate some good chances. Doesn't quite fall to them. Clock runs out with about a minute of the man advantage left. It's a strong opening period where the Sabres have kind of grown into it. They weren't on top for the whole period and kind of had to feel it out. But went on a bit of an impressing showing to end the period, ending on top, not just on the score sheet, but kind of all over the ice in the last 10 minutes against one of the better teams of the league. Now they kind of had to ride it out as the beast awakens. And 
Going into the second, the Bolts are able to kill that penalty, and there's some back and forth with the best chance definitely going to Stamkos as he glides around Evan Rodriguez to come around the front of the net. I say glides. He was flying. That dude is faster than cheese on ice. And the Bolts have awakened, and it's getting tough for the Sabres to push back the other way. They're standing strong through the pressure. They come through the other way. Sherry goes over the line. He drops for Acaposo, who toe-drags a little bit and sneaks it near post like a thief in the night, 2-0, 5-43 into the period. Seconds later, Anthony Sorelli's set free off a deep ice flip from Alex Kalorn. He roofs it 2-1, and it's game on a couple minutes into the period. And that signaled a relative period of dominance from Tampa that really, if we're being honest, did not stop for the rest of the game. There's a long period of possession, which sees the third line trapped on the ice for almost three minutes before Risto can dump it clear. Right out of that, Sherry gets a like a quick break on transition, but he gets caught up in McDonough, and it's going all Tampa's way. Um, as it's going all Tampa's way, Adam Ernie just took a fat puck to the face off a Callahan slap shot, and he went down like a hefty bag filled with vegetable soup. Thankfully, it's on like the side of his head and not in his mouth, so he didn't catch it in the teeth, and it seemed to catch him kind of flat. It wasn't exactly a bullet, and he does return to the bench a few minutes later, but his whole face just looks swollen up. But, I mean, that's a swollen face that at least is in one piece, so that's a plus. Sabres turn their resiliency into a little bit of luck, unfortunately. The the Bolts muck it up like a a pretty good two-on-one that probably should have been a better chance. The Sabres are looking to settle back in, and they get a chance to absolutely not do that as Giergensens goes to the box for interference. Sabres have a pretty resilient kill. It ends with Kucherov unable to keep the puck on the point. He's kind of having an off night, and towards the end of the game, that's really going to continue The last two minutes of the period are just totally frantic. Bogo and Casey miscommunicate on trying to signal for a change, which springs a two-on-one. In the two-on-one, Skinner goes down hard into the corner, and he kind of looked like he had like an equipment, maybe a skate malfunction, because he just wipes out in the middle of the defensive zone a few seconds later. He's not moving well, but he gets the puck, and he takes it back to the bench, actually. But then he gets in some sort of miscommunication about changing, and the puck goes back the other way again. This time, it's deflections and narrow pushes wide all over the place, and it's all gone belly up for the Sabres. They're in full-on, just please, sir, not in the face mode. But the horn ends, the horn sounds, and it ends 2-1. The Beast woke up. The Sabres are still on top somehow at the end of this period. Tampa's out shooting 22-13. They're out hitting 24-15. They're winning face-off 23-15. And that was a horrendous period for the Sabres. But they still have a goal advantage going into the third. Early in the third, Eichel does generate an an incredible opportunity with just considering where it started from. He wins the puck on the boards behind Carter Hutton and then goes bombing through the center of the ice over the, over the defense into the, into the offensive zone to create a chance. Tage Thompson got a good shot off from a rough angle after getting into the zone. And he was for getting his fourth line minutes, creating some good opportunities. We're going to talk to him about him. And unfortunately in our, uh, stock down portion, but he was having a pretty okay game at this time. I was just about, as I was typing my show notes at this point in the game, I was just about to type how uh, Scandella had been relatively incident-free this game, and then he turned it over to Kalorn, who almost scored four minutes in, and sometimes, dude, like, 
sometimes you can definitely tell that Scandella is really trying hard, and sometimes you can tell that like the wheel is spinning, but the hamster is dead. The Bolts are making some great chances on the transition on the forecheck, but aren't able to establish possession. Hutton makes a great save on Hedman. Joseph and a highlight real glove save on Kalorn. He's hands down the absolute first star of the game, no doubt. He adds another one a minute later on Kucherov, who seems to finally be coming alive. Game goes 4-on-4 four four for a second as Skinner commits an interference infraction and then gets slashed by Tyler Johnson. They get an early chance as Risto tries to get in on the net. Larson tries to slap it home. Sherry draws a save off that next faceoff. They win the next draw, and it's Scandella forcing a save. Just numerous face-off wins. This is really the only minor period of dominance on the Sabres end in this period. But Hutton is still if fantastic. He's the first star, and the post is the second star. It goes back to Tampa dominance right after that for the rest of the game. Hutton makes a great stop on a fantastic Braden point tip. He pushes one off to the post at one point. And we're into the final five, and Eichel and Skinner are trying their, they tried their face-off tap-in move that doesn't quite pan out this time. Ike wins it, but he can't quite get it to Skinner, and it's all Tampa from that point out. But the Sabres are, thankfully, they're in the shooting lanes, they're making hits, they're blocking shots. Even if the Bolts score, this isn't a good performance. They're totally outplayed, but it's been a hard one. So I, I remember thinking in like three minutes left in this game, even if they can't see this out, for being so thoroughly outplayed, they've played hard while being outplayed. Um, Bolts pull with 90 seconds left. Kucherov rocks the post from a tight angle, and the Sabres survive. Hutton knew absolutely nothing about it. It had totally beaten him. It was just pure luck. Bogo ices it with 31 to go. Tampa calls a timeout. Sabres clear the zone. It comes back in. It's bouncing around, and Kucherov rocks the post again. It's like Russian roulette out there, but they forgot to load the gun, and the Sabres beat the best team in the East as the buzzer sounds. And at that time, the Sabres temporarily move to seventh overall in the league. That is three in a row and three in a row where the Sabres don't play that well and win, at least across 60 minutes for all of those. So first of all, let's say it. They need to play better against the Habs. You cannot consistently concede five goals and win against the Canucks. You cannot consistently go down by two goals with three minutes left and win against the Lightning. You cannot be outshot 30-19 to 19 and be dominated, dominated in almost every other possession stat and rely on a goalie posting a .967 save percentage and win. Keep in mind that the Sabres won that Canucks game and that Bolts game on some acts of God. Two snapped sticks against the Canucks and two posts hit by Kucherov against the Lightning. They need to play better. I mean, that's we'll get that out of the way right now. These were not laudable wins in their style of play or in terms of dominating the game. But now that that's been said, let's say this. Good teams find a way to win. And here is six points against teams that are hot, that are punching above their weight in a division, teams that are hot and punching way above their weight in the West, and a team that's the best team in the East and arguably the league. And that's not something you just write off. That's not an accident. So six points to talk about here. Um, I'm, we talked about some negative aspects of those wins, but at the end of the day, it's really hard to be grumpy as a Sabres fan right now. 
moving into some stock up situations. I think the first guy we've got to talk about is Sam Reinhart. Um, and there, there was an interesting stat. I'll pull it up while I'm talking about the rest of Sam Reinhart. We talked about earlier this year um, about how he was off to his hottest start in the history of his NHL career, and that start wasn't really that hot. But while that does kind of signal his slow start, he is actually off to a really great start with the Sabres, and he is currently sitting at, sorry, I'm pulling up the stats right now, currently sitting at two goals, 11 assists, and 13 points. He's got points in his last three games, and he had two two-point outings against the Canucks and the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the one stat that I saw that was just kind of interesting, just telling about Sam Reinhart's influence on the team, the Sabres PR seemed like really happy to tweet this out, but their stat was Sam Reinhart has recorded three two-point games in his last four games totaled, totaling six points, one and five during that stretch. The Sabres are 8-0-0 this season when Reinhard, Reinhardt sorry, records at least one point and 24-2-3 in his career when he records at least two. And so now, that was before the Tampa game, so they, the Sabres are 9-0-0 this season when Reinhardt gets a point. And what I tweeted back was, dude, it's almost like the Sabres are better when Reinhardt plays better. Like, that's... That's not news, I don't think. He's a number two overall pick from a 2014 draft. He's not an elite-level player, but he's a very, very good player. And yeah, when he's making it happen, this team is going to be better. Um, and here he is over the last streak of games. We've been critical of him in the past, but here he is over the last couple of games making an impact, and it's not a coincidence that the Sabres are winning. Tage Thompson, we've got to talk about him. Um, for our stock down portion. I mean, there's a good player in there, and what's going on on the ice is not his fault for the most part. I think the only thing I'll get critical of him for is what he does when he gets the puck. He really only has one move. It's a toe drag that worked once in preseason against Toronto, and since then he's tried it about eight times, and it's never panned out. Other than that and being just a little too risky in his possession, um, I don't have a lot of criticism to give Tage Thompson on the ice other than the fact that he's not getting enough ice time. And for this, I think I have to look at, first of all, sort of Phil Housley for how he's being managed when he's put into a game, but more of Jason Botterill and why he hasn't been sent down to Rochester. I think this is a player who, let, let's face it, I mean... Patrick Berglund and Sabaka are great. They're making our bottom six better than it was last year, but they are not the prized assets of the O'Reilly trade. It's that first-round pick, and it's Tage Thompson. And I think we are woefully, we are seeing Tage Thompson be woefully mismanaged with the role and the game time that he's getting. This is a player that, like, this, he's 20, 21. He's at the tail end of that, like, prime development period. This is the time where you want him to be playing game in, game out, and top line minutes if you want to see him maximize his potential. And so I I know why they haven't sent him down. It's that 
or I think I would imagine that like couple a couple factors. Number one, the Sabres are playing really well. You don't want to shake that up by bringing a player back the other way and feeling obligated to insert him into the lineup. Number two, the Amherst are playing really well. You don't want to bring a player down and feel obligated to insert him into the lineup. I get that. Number three, you can't really just send Tage Thompson down and not call someone up because I think they're waiting for Scott Wilson to come back and be healthy. All of that makes sense, but it still doesn't change the fact that the victim here is Tage Thompson and his development. It's time to send him down. We'll talk about and down the road about who should come back the other way. I don't think it's Alex Nylander, um, but at this time, I think our stock down continues to be Tage Thompson. He looked brighter in the Tampa game, but still many concerns about just where this guy's development is going to go. He's as tall as as a six foot three inch tree all right let's get with a ton of talent and a ton of skill and a ton of speed for a dude that big we got to be working on developing this guy as a 2016 first round pick and the prized asset of the ryan o'reilly trade let's let's start working with this kid it's a little frustrating to see what's going on with him so that's our stock up stock down our three games that's it for part two. Join us in part three where we'll be taking a look at the Sabres' next outings, talking about what's going on downtown in Rochester, around town in the league, and opening up our mailbag with questions from the listeners. We'll see you guys in a second. All right, guys, moving on to part three, where we're going to be looking ahead to the Sabres' next three outings, and we're going on a little bit of a road trip. Uh, last, or sorry, let's actually name the team that we're talking about first. We're going to Winnipeg Jets on Friday, and last season, the Jets were eliminated in the Western Conference Final against the Vegas Golden Knights, and this was after achieving their first ever playoff series win in franchise history. To be perfectly honest, I thought for sure that they were going to beat Vegas. They're a team that was and still is absolutely loaded with high-end talent, and they added Paul Stastny at the deadline. They were going for it, and I thought for sure that Vegas were meeting their end, but Vegas came out the winners 4-1. Jets are 10-5-1 on this season, so they're starting pretty strongly. Um, They are led by point leaders Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley with 23 points and 19 points respectively Wheeler is really the playmaker in the situation with 20 assists for and three goals and Shifley's bringing in the goals with nine the Jets play the Capitals tonight that's Wednesday is my night of recording before the Sabres come to town on Friday this is a big challenge I mean this team is a wagon of talent And while the Sabres have been having some fun games against some of the lower-level teams like the Habs or the Senators or a young team like the Canucks, this is another team like Tampa that is a contender and through and through. And we want to see how far this team has come. Here's another litmus test for this team. Like let's, Let's face another wagon of talent and let's see them away from home in a pretty tough environment to play. Moving on from that, it's a back-to-back. The Sabres will travel to the Minnesota Wild on Saturday, and the Wild have been trying for ever to dig their way out of being just a pretty good team. They're a pretty consistent playoff present team, 
but they're so rarely making waves once they make the playoffs that I, I almost wonder if you were a Winnipeg or a Winnipeg, a Minnesota Wild fan, what your opinion of that situation would be. Are making is making the playoffs even worth celebrating anymore if nothing happens there? Last year they lost in the first round uh, to Winnipeg, who were winning their first ever playoff series. They lost four one. Uh, not a whole lot of offseason moves to talk about. They bought out our old friend Tyler Ennis over there, who signed with the Leafs. They are 11-5-2 on the season, which is like admirable, but if you think about this stat, it's, it's a little more um, significant. They lost four out of their first five and have since gone 10-3-0. So they're a very hot team. They're second in the division behind a dominant Nashville Predators. Very respectable. Uh, Michael Grandland is there. Mikhail Grandland is their top scorer. He's 10, uh, got 10 goals, 8 assists for 18 points. Zach Parisi is close behind with 7 goals, 9 assists, and six for 16 points. And it's good for them that Parisi is still contributing. He recently turned 34 and is under contract until 2025. If you remember that he and Ryan Suter signed that 13-year contract worth almost $100 million apiece back in 2012. They play Vancouver on Thursday before the Sabres come to town on Saturday. We'll probably see our old pal Marcus Foligno, who's still kicking it around over there. He's played in all of their games and has three points this season. This is a bit of a uh, a bit of this is a back to back, so it'll be interesting to see what the Sabers do goaltending wise. I would imagine Hutton gets the game Friday against a slightly heavier opposition than the Wild, but I also wouldn't discount the Wild. But I would imagine we're going to see Allmark on Saturday. After that, the Sabres take a day off and travel to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, biggest off-season move for the Penguins actually involved the Sabres, as we know. They traded Connor Sherry and Matt Hunwick to the Sabres for a f- conditional fourth-round pick, and which was essentially just a cap dump to sign Jack Johnson for five years by $3.25 million. And that was a move, like trading Connor Sherry and Matt Hunwick wasn't really the, the most significant item for Penn's fans, but the move to sign Jack Johnson was pretty much widely bemoaned by Penn's fans. If you want some fun reading and you're feeling nerdy, do a dive on Jack Johnson's stats beyond just goals, assists, and plus-minus in his career. He has some of the worst possession stats out of all NHL players. And he's also spent the last few games playing on the Penn's top defensive line with Chris Letang. Who knows what's going on there, but we're likely to see him. Hopefully, the the Sabres are able to take advantage. And the Pens are off to an incredibly slow start this season. They are 7-6-3 on the season. They lost last night against the Devils, who are the only team in the division who are worse than the Penguins. Before they beat the Coyotes last week, they had lost five straight. And, I mean, if you start picking at different things, you'll find all sorts of things that aren't going well for them. Uh, Matt Murray, in particular, isn't having the best start to the season. He's conceded 32 goals in nine games for a .886 save percentage and 3.87 average goals per game. He's struggling, and the whole team is struggling, but it's early. I mean, you technically can be, quote-unquote, out of the playoffs at this point in the year and finish perfectly fine. Like The Sabres are in a wild-card spot right now. 
how confident are we really that they'll finish above the Panthers, Penguins, Capitals, and Devils, who are all currently below the Sabres in the Eastern Conference standings? Um, still, like they're a Stanley Cup contender, and when you aren't playing well, there are questions asked. So there's been news about what the Penguins are thinking about doing and some possible moves that they're going to be making. It was rumored over the summer that they were shopping Phil Kessel, although that seems to have died down. There's also news that they might be trying to move 2015 pick Daniel Sprong, whom we'll talk about later in the show. And this is the time of year that teams usually make some kind of little tweak. And today, the Penguins did. They traded Carl Hagelin to the LA Kings for Tanner Pearson. This maybe means a little bit more for the Kings than it does for the Penguins. Hagelin's contract is expiring at the end of the season. Pearson's has four more years, and the Kings are murdered. Not only are they bottom of the league, they are murdered by cap trouble. So I think this was half a move to shake things up for them, but half a move for them to prepare to absolutely tank. I think we're going to see Hagelin probably get moved at the deadline to try to be traded for some kind of picks for futures, and also it gets them out of the, I think, 3.75 that Tanner Pearson makes for the next couple of years. The Penguins play the Lightning and the Senators before the Sabres come to town on Monday, and that will round out our Sabres away trip. Moving on to down the road, talking about what's going on with the Amherst down in Rochester, and the Amherst actually played in Buffalo against Cleveland at KeyBank Center, and Cleveland was a pretty high-flying uh, team for opening up for their first season in the AHL. And positives from this game, Justin Bailey finally got off his mark for the Amherst this season. He's using his speed, flying down the side on the right, and he picks the top corner. For his second goal of the game, he flies down the other side to pick up a dump in. He does this 360 and Lutz fly to the net, and it goes in. It's his 100th and 101st AHL point. He had another incredible goal on Friday night against Syracuse where he came in down the left and toe-dragged the goaltender to finish it. Just good for him to see three goals in two games. We There were a lot of folks um, kind of condemning him to be a lifelong AHLer from this point out. I sin- sincerely hope that that is not the case, and he is able to find his feet here and get a chance at the NHL level, either with the Sabres or somewhere else. I think he has a lot of tools that make him an incredible player to have on your team and a great tool to have on your team. That he just There needs to be more end product. I mean, kind of speaking to that and the struggles with the end product, he had a great chance to win that Syracuse game in overtime, um, but he was unable to lift the puck above a pad. And I think that's something that kind of you know, effective shooting is something that sets players apart. He has a ton of tools that I think a lot of players would love to have, his speed, his power, his pace, his agility, but that end product needs to get there for him to get to get somewhere. Um, so it was good to see him get a couple goals in the last couple of games. Also in that Cleveland game, Wayne Simpson became the current AHL top Ironman. He's got the longest streak of consecutive games, current active, not the record, but current active of 200 games. And he commemorated the occasion by scoring the Amherst's fourth and fifth goals. We talked about in our Amherst season preview, just the presence of veteran scoring on this team. It's one of the reasons they brought Wayne Simpson in as a free agent this year. He's starting to provide some of it. 
Other good news from that game is that Sean Malone returned to that lineup. I I wasn't able to watch the game on Wednesday, um, but he did look really good against the Crunch on Friday night. Bad news from the Wednesday game, Victor Olofsson did not return for the third period. He's got a lower body injury that's still being evaluated. He has since started practicing. The game on Friday night was was a ton of fun against the Crunch, who have been you know one of the lower performing teams this season. They're off to a, a rough start, but it was super physical. And Borgen and McWilliam in particular were out there just trying to end lives. Uh, Nylander crashed the net at one point and went flying into the net and took out the goaltender, which started just a full team, almost five-on-five scrum, which Nylander was actually a part of. Um, something kind of interesting. And uh, the the one highlight that I think we, we have to talk about for this one is, I mean, Zach Redmond continues to be absolutely 100% too good for the AHL. He has since fallen down the standings from a few in the AHL top point standings to fifth um, from that time when he, Victor Olofsson, and Lawrence Pilot were the top three in the league. Um, but he is still the highest scoring defenseman in the AHL, and Pilot is the number two highest scoring defenseman, and he's been injured the last few games. But Redmond is just, he's one of the best skaters on the ice. He's one of the most aware and probably has some of the best vision on the ice, and he has an NHL-level slap shot. You watch him release that puck, and I can't believe that the Buffalo Sabres, or particularly the Rochester Americans, were able to convince him to take an AHL two-year deal. Um, He has... 10 goals this season in 13 games. The next highest in goal totals on the uh, on the Americans is Olafson with 6. And the record for Amherst defenseman goals in a season is 18. Redmond has 10 through I'm sorry, now 14 games. And so that record is I mean, I would say there's probably a 90% probability that that goal record is going to die this season and Redmond is going to have his name on it by the end, but he is just an incredible player to watch. He's moving the puck from the back end. And what a, also, talking about a development standpoint, what a great player for someone like Brendan Gooley, for someone like Jack Doherty, for someone like Will Borgen to play with, someone who moves the puck, has vision, has awareness. Um, also having an okay game is uh, Alex Nylander. Um, he did have... He did assist both goals in the game, including the overtime winner. Uh, his overtime winner in particular was was a great move. He rode a challenge along the boards after playing the puck past a guy, squares to Redmond for that slap shot that we talked about for the winner. But still, like, pump the brakes, guys. And they're the equalizer for the crunch, uh, their first equalizer for the crunch, came off Nylander doing a good job back-checking on a center crash in the net, but then he went to sleep as the center continued to crash the net and score, and that exact same thing happened again, and thankfully, Adam Wilcox, who was phenomenal this game, was able to make that save, but those are the kind of the things that Nylander needs to keep working on. I mean, those kind of things happen at the NHL level. While a lot of people want to see him playing at the NHL level, we won't enjoy seeing him for very long if those kind of things don't get fixed. I still stand by that if there's a guy who's going to get called up to play, it's got to be C.J. Smith right now. Um, I think he is the most ready. He's the steadiest performer. He's doing everything right when you watch him out there. 
and he's playing really well. Now, I'd put that asterisk there about, you know, if there's room for him to play, you call him up. Because if he goes into, if he gets called up for the Tage Thompson role of just, you know, one game in, two games out, uh, there's, and on the fourth line, no less, I don't think there's, um, there's room for, or that, that would be something that's, that's worth CJ Smith's time for his development. But he's my guy. If you're calling up anyone for the Sabres, he's the guy. On Saturday, there was some trade news. The Sabres traded Taylor Fadoon for a conditional seventh round pick from Dallas. The pick becomes a seventh if Fadoon plays 25 games for the Stars. If they, if he doesn't play, there's no pick transferred. I don't personally think he's going to play 25 games for the Stars, so the Sabres basically gave him away. Um, but that's that's kind of a a good move for this organization. They're, they're giving him a fresh slate. It looks good when you make moves like that and take care of guys who aren't playing. I mean, they, they needed the room because the, the here are the defensemen with the Amherst. Redmond, Pilot, Hickey, Gooley, McWilliam, Borgen, Nathan Page, and Jack Doherty. I think there are absolutely six names in that list. They're absolutely ahead of Taylor Fadoon on the pecking order. He, he was playing the last few games because Gooley's been sick. I think one other guy, Jack Doherty, has been injured, so he's been playing a little bit. Oh, I didn't even mention Matt Tennyson. I don't even know if you need to mention Matt Tennyson, but I didn't mention Matt Tennyson. And I think now that these guys are getting healthy and you're getting back guys that you, you really kind of quietly want to see play over Taylor Fadoon, I think it's time for him, for him to, to move on. And I'm glad that the Sabres gave him an opportunity to, to get this opportunity rather than watching all these games from you know from the stands Amherst take it this weekend to a back to back to back outing Friday Saturday Sunday away to Springfield Providence and Hartford the Amherst are currently top of their division with a four-point lead over Cleveland and they've actually played a game less than Cleveland so all mostly good news or coming back to good news with a couple guys coming back from injury and getting off the mark from Rochester. Moving on to around town, talking about what's going on around the league. Max Pacioretty made his return to Montreal for the first time since being traded. They showed a touching video beforehand that was met with a pretty wild applause, and that was really nice to see and honestly maybe a little surprising. I, I don't think you can really point much or point at much that Pacioretty did wrong at the end of his tenure there, but things got really sour over the last few seasons and particularly over the last few months toward the end of his tenure there. And to see the reception that he got um, coming back to that town was, was, was really nice to see. I'm glad that those sorts of things still happen in this league. Um, Vegas did lose to Montreal um, in that game. Also in the division, the William Nylander contract talks continue to be just the talk of the season, and there are now rumors floating around that he and his camp have apparently turned down a deal similar to what David Pasternak makes with the Bruins, something like 6.5, 6.6, or something like that. And that's not a surprise. That David Pasternak deal is incredible um, for a player of his caliber. And if if William Nylander wanted to take that contract Toronto would have signed him months ago. Um, on Saturday night, TSN affiliate Elliot Friedman stated that they, talking about Toronto, are at a point where they're beginning to test the market. 
Word is that they have asked teams to inform them who teams or interested parties would be willing to move and also begin to prepare formal offers for the unsigned Toronto winger. So I think plan A, If I, I, I personally, I think plan A is still to sign William Nylander. That's why we're still here and they haven't made a move yet but they only have until December 1st to get it done. If he doesn't sign by that date, he becomes ineligible to play in the NHL this season. And this has been just a horrible distraction for their team that's trying to be a contender and is having a bit of a roller coaster to a season in trying to do it. If they can't get this sorted, it might be time to start considering other possibilities. Uh, I put my money on Nylander is a leaf. Uh, come December 1st. I, I firmly stand by my, my feeling that William Nylander will be a Leaf on December 1st. What that contract looks like, I have no idea. But I think he'll be a Leaf on December 1st. But it looks like the Leafs either as a negotiating tactic to try to float out the idea to his camp that, hey, we are considering other options, or as a, a legitimate search for other options, the Leafs are floating ideas out there. In other news, the NHL announced on Monday that it has reached a settlement with a contingent of alumni players over their concussion lawsuit. The players had alleged that they were not informed of the damage that could be caused or the lifelong effects of what they were doing on the ice between hits and fighting. And part of this lawsuit is also that they were encouraged to engage in damaging behavior like that fighting in the hard hits um, and that they were withheld from the knowledge of the damage while they were encouraged to do this. In the statement afterwards, the NHL did say that they, quote, do not acknowledge any liability for any of the plaintiff's claims in these cases. However, the parties agree that the settlement is a fair and reasonable resolution and that it is in the party's respective best interests to receive the benefits of the settlement to avoid the burden, risk, and expense of further litigation. Now, it should be noted that not all of the guys who were involved in this lawsuit are accepting the settlement. Some of the guys still want their day in court, but this has gone on for five years and I think some of the guys just want this to be done. Like five years, like it's time to get back to our lives and stop having this be a major focal point. Um, I don't know. I don't want to speak for them, but I, I would imagine that might be some, where some of these guys are coming from. I am a little, little disappointed in the league that it has come to this. Um, I was listening to the Steve Dangle podcast, and they were talking about how the amounts awarded are coming out to something like 19000 for each plaintiff which is pretty criminal when you consider the effects and what we know about um, CTE and other concussion-related ailments. Um, look, personally, I want to watch a league and I want to root for a team that takes care of its players and takes care of its own, and I don't think this settlement does that. And this, I mean, I know for legal reasons they have to admit or they have to state, like, we don't acknowledge any liability in making this settlement, but dude, can you just stop denying the medical facts that we know at this point about concussion protocol? And can you can you do something right for once is my, my question to the NHL. Can you do this one thing right? Can you look out for the mental and physical well-being of your players of your like they're not a product and i think that's that's what i take away from this is that the and to the nhl the players are a product they're a a piece um they're a piece of business that they move around and make money off of they're not 
people. I mean, we, we talked about and what are you reading about the very human side of these players and what they go through. Here is a very human result of this game that they play and then with situations that players were forced into before we knew about these items that the NHL seemed to know about and ignored. And when, fa- when given a chance to face up to those circumstances, to face up to, to their what, what I would hope would be their responsibility to take care of their players, to take care of these people who work for them, they're throwing a marginal sum of money at it and taking the opportunity to walk away. And so I am very disappointed in this um, this settlement. I, I really would have liked to see further progress on this case. I don't blame the guys who took the settlement at all. They, they all have their reasons. They all have, um, you know, between lawyer fees and the folks of this, I, I would not be surprised if they just want to go back to their lives. But I'm really disappointed in the NHL with this settlement. I just, I hope that one day we can watch a league where they did this right. And right now, I don't think we are. And we are running a tad long, but I do want to move on to a quick mailbag with a question that was tweeted in. Uh, Doug on Twitter tweets in, Sprong? Maybe a dumb question. No room on the right side. And if you are uh, not familiar with who he's talking about, we are discussing Daniel Sprong of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He is a second-round draft pick from 2015 who is playing bottom six minutes on the Pittsburgh Penguins right now who are really dissatisfied with their bottom six. They're off to a rough start to this season. And, I mean, when you're off to a rough start, you point fingers everywhere. But it's kind of tough to point fingers at Crosby and Malkin and Kessel, especially when they're producing. And right now, for the most part, those guys are. And so they're looking at their bottom six, and it features a lot of guys who are kind of playing out of position. Um, And Sprong is the one we come to. He was the Penguins AHL affiliate top scorer, Last year, he has been known to put up in the OHL like goal a game or more than, or sorry, more than point a game stats. And here he is playing a fourth line role for the Penguins. So the narrative is lately that to um, change out their bottom six, that Sprong is on the trade block for something that they could um, trade for a couple different pieces for what they're needing to 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 take care of that. Is Daniel Sprong a player that a lot of teams should be interested in? 100%. Is Daniel Sprong a player that the Sabres should be interested in? I wish I could say yes. I would love to have him as a part of the organization. But as Doug pointed out, there's not a whole lot of room for the Sabres on the right-hand side. I don't think it's a dumb question. I think the Sabres should always consider possible opportunities they can get to to acquire like a really promising young player. But... If we're going to talk about you know players like Daniel Sprong who have a ton of talent and are capable of producing goals in a top six environment who are not getting their opportunity and are condemned to bottom six roles and need to you know the, their organization needs to reconsider how they're being utilized we have that already his name is Tage Thompson and I don't think doubling down with a another player where we're trying to figure out where this player factors into our team. I don't know that that's necessarily beneficial. Um, I think the the only way I could see this happening is if 
Sam Reinhart goes the other way in a trade that involves many other pieces. And I don't know, first of all, that that solves the Penguins' problem. Um, But maybe it does, depending on what they're looking at. And I also don't know that that's something that I think any Sabres fan would really want to see. Whether or not Sprong is better than Reinhardt, we we really can't say at this time. Sprong's got a much smaller sample size of appearances at the in the NHL, um, but we'll see. And I think Sprong will be moved. That seems to be the narrative that's floated out in a lot of media. Unfortunately, I I don't think that's going to be to the Sabers, as Doug pointed out on Twitter. There, there's not really room for him in this environment. We'll see what happens. That will just about do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd enjoyed this show, we would so appreciate it if you would drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Remember, you can tweet in your questions at ICGAW, that's I-C-G-A-W. You can also email us at ICGAWpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We will see you guys next week where we'll be recapping, previewing, and talking about what's going on in the league. Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember, it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Dipped in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the center lane. Score!